G'day folks, welcome into the Hennessy Footy Files. Today I sit down and talk with one of the toughest and most durable front rowers to play the game of rugby league in the last 20 years. In a successful career spanning 15 seasons, Brent Kite played over 300 first grade games, won two premierships with the mighty Manly Seagulls and took home the coveted Clive Churchill medal winner. On top of that, he had an incredible run in the representative arena for both state and country. Really stoked to have him in the studio today to sit down and talk all things footy. Welcome in, Kitey. Happy to be here, mate. Kitey played for St George. He also played for the Seagulls and finished his career off in Penrith. And these days, mate, you are up on the Tweed Coast uh, coaching the Tweed Raiders. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it was a, just a lifestyle move, Hen. We, um, you know, we'd done the footy thing and... Uh, the wife had had been supportive of that, and she's always had a, a bit of an affinity with the coast. She has a lot of family here, so we we moved up for that reason, which um, sort of took me away from most of the footy opportunities. But uh, I, I got a yeah. I, I mean, cutting to the quick, we lined up with the with the Raiders, and um, they were good enough to give me a start, and. Um, just, just been a fantastic time. Where I suppose the the big decision for me was to um, uh, when, when I found out it's a it's an amateur club, no one's getting paid. Was like okay, there's no there's no incentive that's always been there as as a player. Um, and do I still want to do this? And and the answer was yes. I, I just I have a desire to coach, and um, I was able to do that, and have been doing that the last few years up here. And uh, what I got back in return, as corny as it sounds, was was more than money could buy. We we won a comp with, uh, as I said, with a, a fully amateur team. The boys are properly, though it's overused, just for the love of the game kind of guys, willing to learn. And in a lot of ways, that just worked to, to my advantage. That they're just um, happy to to run with whatever you know. They're hanging off every word. So um, yeah, I've really enjoyed the time up here. Is it good giving back to those young guys who you're coaching now as they can feed off your experience as an elite player as they continue to develop and grow? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to, to be honest, it's been a platform where I can try things that, you know, as a player and a senior player and, and, and sort of generally in the latter stages of my career, someone that was sort of in the brain's trust, if you like, um, a platform to try things that you think would work and... and, and um, uh, I think Wayne Bennett told me once, you know, make, make your mistakes at this level. So I've been able to do that. Giving back, yeah, sure, that's part of it. Uh, I just, I think um, I'm, I'm just aware that I'm, I'm getting just as much out of the, the transaction, and and uh, just really happy that the, the guys are receptive. I suppose the giving back, I would feel like more on that junior level um, where I've coached my son's team. I know you've coached the junior footy. It's very rewarding because there's. Um, it, it, I think it helps you as a coach too to just convey these messages really clearly to young guys that um, need things put simply. Now, talking about your coaching career, I know that you you want to go further with it. Um, you've definitely got you know the experience, you've got the brains for it. What are you hoping the next five years to get out of your own coaching career, and where do you want to go? 
Yeah, I think the other thing with the move hand was that it was just for me, um, I was sort of a bull out of the gate, um, out of being a player, I really thought I'd, I'd lob straight into a role. So that was a fair um, reality shock for me that there is not that many roles for guys and um, for all of us, you know, that, that played, we can't all transition and um, unfortunately it didn't happen for me. I got pretty down in the mouth about it all, but uh, uh, back to the coast, that, that was just a, a real taking of stock um, to say, yeah, you know, if it's going to happen, it, it can happen. I can I can do my apprenticeship and uh, I'd love to be an assistant by them and hen, but, uh, you know, you need your, your opportunity and in the meantime, all I can do is keep, uh, you know, applying the trade and, and trying to get some results. So let's take a journey back. You grew up in Queanbeyan, so let's chat about where your love for the sport of rugby league started. I'd have to start at the Queanbeyan Blues, um, which uh, I think at one stage it had the biggest, although it's only a small country town, it had the biggest leagues club in the Southern Hemisphere. And uh, people that know would would know that, um, you know, they're actually responsible for kicking off the Raiders. Uh, proud club. Um, and when you're yeah, talking about my juniors, I can't uh, go past those days at the Blues with some of the... Best days of my life, you know, uh, life, sorry, going up to Sydney, um, playing away in tournaments. Um, yeah, those group of guys that um, I started off in the under-8s blues. I, I've still got a couple of my best mates from there. But uh, as you said, quickly progressed into ACT and over to Arendelle College. Um, the little story there was that um, all my mates went to St Edmunds College and um, Dad had six kids, so he... he he sent the three girls to, to Catholic school, but the three boys had to rough it at Queenbeyan High. And so I was always asking Dad to get me a scholarship to St Edmunds, which is a rugby playing school, and I played both to the age of 16 when um, the Raiders came along and they said, look, mate, if you go to Arendelle, we'll give you 50 bucks a week. And <laughs> I thought that was big coin at the time. So I ended up there and, um, yeah, I think you, you touched on some of the talent that's come through there and uh, our time was, was certainly successful. We won two years that, that I was there, uh, 97 and 98, um, and a host of first graders came through that school, probably the most notable, and one of, one of my mates from that time was Brett Finch. Playing schoolboy footy for Australia, was that the next step in your development, or did it come right out of the blue? Oh, yeah, I think I, was, I wasn't selected. I was playing for ACT, and I think I was a centre winger back then. Um, and I didn't make the initial uh, team. Guys like Mark Gaznier and Luke Burt were in front of me. Um, Lenny Beckett had played first grade. Some of these guys straight out of high school were playing first grade and, and I didn't make the cut, but someone pulled out and I got the call up. So, yeah, I was always hopeful to go there, but ACT is not a, not a strong, um, not a very strong state when you're up against the big boys in New South Wales and Queensland. So we were... Always going to be up against it, and um, but as I said, we, we ended up having yeah at least three or four guys out of that team make Australia. You mentioned before playing with Brent Finch. Throw me a Finchy story because he's a pretty amusing individual. Yeah, so Finch is well, you know, well known now to be a larrikin. But um, when we're going to Arendelle College uh, and and playing for the for the Raiders, his dad was the the football manager. Uh, so we've sort of done this role reversal. He was he was the straighty one eighty. I was the, I was the one sort of you know drinking too much and partying too much. And uh, 
Yeah, he he is. Although he's although he's a, a real larrikin, he's a real footy head and a real footy brain. And he he'd go cross at me. We had to, um, being from Canberra, every second week we were travelling to Sydney. So um, I'd I'd come on the bus from a big night. I'd sleep in the aisle, <laughs> and Finchie would come up to me, and I just feel this finger, put, you know, pounding me in the chest. Oi, oi. Kidey, and I'd look up, and it's Finchy right in my face with you. He had the little snaggly teeth back then. He didn't have the the Channel Nine uh, dentist working for him. And he said, "You were out drinking last night." And I go, "Yeah, yeah." And he goes, "I hope you play like shit." <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "But don't let the team down, you know." So he's, um, yeah. I mean, I think he's nearly an eternal bachelor these days. And I went on to settle down quite quickly and have kids. And so I always sort of laugh at that um, how we t- we traded places there. Just going back to something you just said before, as a junior, what was your position? I was a centre. Wow. Yeah. um, Before they had positions, um, I always tell my kids and it's sort of my my glory days aren't the NRL. They're back back in the juniors when I used to score a few tries and I tell them I was a centre. I scored 11 tries in one game and probably before we had, had moves, I think, Tackle three was just give the ball to Kitey. So <laughs> um, that even that was a cool time because we were the Queenmans, a big town, and we were the number two side. And so they were just all mates playing together that couldn't make the ones. And, you know, over the course of a couple of years, we were able to knock off the ones. And that was, um, yeah, something we're, we're all pretty fond of and still look back on and, and laugh. It's pretty funny how you say tackle three, give it to Kitey, because when I coached, I coached young Will Hoppawati from about age seven right up to the time he went in the grade. And that was the move as well. It was like, if we're not close, tackle three or four, hop, give him the ball. Yeah, well, you mate, you must have had a profound influence on this kid because his pedigree <laughs> might have suggested he went a different way. No, no, he's an incredible human. And, yeah. and I reckon I've always said about Will that um, it was a pleasure to coach him. I'd... He was just so talented. I didn't really teach him anything. But what I will say about Will is that he's not changed the way he is as a human from the, the moment I met him. He was always respectful, always a great guy. And um, to this day, I'm still pretty tight with him. So, yeah, yeah he's, a, he's a good man, Will. I can attest to that. I just I just feel like chucking in that when I talk about pedigree, we're talking about John. Brenda's beautiful. But... Um, yeah, he. I remember trying to talk him out of his Mormon mission, you know, and maybe, maybe a bit selfishly for me, but um, also because I, I had, you know, been in faith since I was quite young. But, you know, uh, true to his convictions, he did it and he was able to come back and, and, and he's made another goal of it. The thing about uh, Will's Mormon mission was that uh, people that I knew who, who knew my association with him said, were you surprised that he went when he did? And I said, no, because I always knew, even as a kid, that... Uh, that Will was going to eventually go on his mission. He was very, very driven uh, religiously. And when he did decide to go, it did shock a few people because it was like he was coming into the peak of his powers. But realistically, um, I think it was a good thing for Will to do that at that stage because when he did come back, he was still sort of borderline, you know, coming into his prime as a footballer. took him, I reckon, a season to adjust and put that weight back on. But overall, I thought that, you know, it didn't really shock me to, that Will actually went on his Mormon mission. It was always going to be happening. Yeah, uh, just, a, just a great young role model. And, you know, being of Tongan heritage too, he's, he's, he's represented the, the country with um, real honour and, you know, someone that the kids can look up to. Mate, uh, 
going through the grades, I'd like to know, you, you came through the Canberra grades, right? What made you leave Canberra and head to Saints? How did that evolve? When you're, um, when you're a one-team town and, you know, ostracised a little bit down there in Canberra, uh, I don't know if it always happens, but, um, you know, at, at my time, the, the, the local juniors can be overlooked because uh, an area like Canberra has a, a large catchment area that goes right into the bush, the Riverina. And so they're always buying guys and bringing guys in and producing producing local talent also. But, um, yeah, I was, I mean, it was pretty, pretty simply shown the door. I was, um, I think I was on a part-time contract where I was training full-time with the first graders for maybe 20, 25,000. Um, and the following year it was sort of, I think it was 8,000. So it was sort of a bit of a slap in the face. Um, but uh, Did that motivate you? Yeah, well, I, I knew I could play. And to, to be fair to, to Canberra, I had um, a bit of trouble off the field, you know, so I wasn't the easiest sort of kid to have. I mean, I remember <laughs> um, sometimes, sometimes when you're playing up, you know, you get little perks like uh, – they sent Laurie Daly to speak to me one training session, you know, and it, it was all about how he used to be a larrikin and, you know, just about pulling the head in and, and, and then Kyle, you could possibly be playing first grade in the next couple of years. But um, I still wasn't quite ready to pull the head in at that stage and I was just, I remember going away going, far out, I'm talking to Laurie Daly and I don't know if I took the, the key message there, but um, yeah, I mean, so Raiders, yeah, really, I, I didn't think um, I was in their plans. Matt Elliott had just come into coach. I think Mal had just left, and and it was pretty much it. It was a it was a tough time because back then I just being a, a boy from Queenman, big family, Sydney seemed a mile away. Uh, the St George were good enough to throw me a bone uh, purely on potential, and my mar- manager Daryl Mather, who I kept throughout my career, um, had had lined that up, and um, I just remember being over the moon and that they were going to give me a start, and it might have been thirty five grand. It was just enough to stop being a security guard from midnight till six a.m. and then trying to go train and compete with the big boys. They just said, "We'll back you, come up here and train." And um, uh, the, the, there was one bit I missed out. Once Canberra did get wind of that, they did try and come back, but. Um, a bit like Young Will we just spoke about. I, I'd, I'd done a handshake with St George. They showed the faith in me and I was, I was intent to repay that. And uh, the nice part of the story was I just got up there and trained my ass off. And, um, yeah, where I was at Canberra, I played nearly two or three, three years in reserve grade. Had that pre-season with St George and never played reserve grade again. So you went straight into the uh, first grade system? Yeah, as I said, they threw me that bone and, and um, I had moved into the back row at that stage and I was just training the house down. I um, It was in a star-studded lineup. Uh, internationals were six or seven of them at the time, Barrett, Rolls, Bailey. And, um, you know, I was just making it a goal to win everything. You know, we used to run to the top of Mount Kira. I was, I'd, I'd try and win it. And um, it's not to say I don't think I was fitter than these guys, but I was hungry, you know, and... and Andrew Farrow, who was the coach at the time, was was a yeah. It was it was cool to have him from that real old school um, as my first first grade coach. Um, he gave me a start, and and I didn't look back. I probably played you know a lot of those games off the bench, but it was a real 
really good introduction into rugby league with the star-studded lineup. As I said, real, real good coach in in uh, Andrew Farrow and, and Max Ninnis is a guy that um, always believed in what I could do. He's a he's an assistant coach down there. He's one of those guys that's part of the part of the furniture. And um, yeah, uh, they're fun times to look back on. Nathan Brown took over as head coach. A lot of people, a lot of commentators uh, said that Brownie, when he did take over, it was he was too young and he went in too quick. Do you believe that or was it, do you think that Brownie straight away became a first grade coach? Yeah. Oh, you know, history will say that maybe he was too young and, and I'm actually shocked now that I've finished my career that I finished at 34 where Brownie was coaching at 29 perhaps. Um, so maybe it was, but Brownie was um, – w- I, I like to think I take something away from from all of the people I'm coach under and, and Brownie was a great thinker um, and, and had great ideas about the game and he was, he, was a, he was a great coach and he was very good to me, supportive of me and um, gave me a lot of confidence that I could, uh, could, could play the game and play first grade. Um, I suppose the side, that, that um, managerial side of the role – uh, and I hadn't been around like the rest of them, but but going from player to coach, uh, we you know you, you're sort of going from being a um, on the same level to some, you know to, to having to kick heads in slap heads <laughs> in Brownie's case, and um, yeah, I, I like Brownie. I think he's he's done a great job to go over to uh, to England and, and really prove that he can coach. Then your career's progressing, and then as a 22 year old you made the state of origin side. How did you find out that you had first made the side and were you expecting that to happen in 2004? No, not at all. I, as I said, most of that first year I came off the bench as a, as a, as a back rower and um, it was just by chance that uh, early in 2004 – might get my years mixed up, man. Yeah. But um, the the year I played Origin, um, I had the Australian front rowers ahead of me at St George, and um, uh, in Luke Bailey, Jason Rolls, they'd both gone down, and Brownie said, "You know, Cody, I think we get you closer to the action." I was sort of dropping a couple of balls out wide. Confidence was down a little bit. He said, "Mate, just let's get you first touch, take us forward," and um, and really, it was just that. Uh, you know, I start. I came out of the blocks that season and, and had a really good, um, however many games. Um, and Gus Gould, you know, I got to say, has always uh, been supportive of my career, and and uh, he gave me that chance in Origin that um, pretty much at the time changed my life. You know, I was uh, I just come off. Um, I was trying to negotiate with St George for an extension that preseason. They said, Kyle, we just can't do it." You know. As things unfolded, I played Origin and, and went okay. Um, and then I was on the open market with clubs chasing me, one of them being Manly. And um, that's when I, you know, went into that um, next tier of player or value, if you like. That, that was a big year. Playing in that Origin series, New South Wales won that series. You got to play with guys like Fitler. But how important was you know, that relationship you already had with those guys in your own side to, to help you through that series. And they always say that Origin is a much quicker game. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. I, um, I think, uh, yeah, trying to put your finger on it, it's just such a build-up. People have probably spoken about it before, but there's such an emotional 
build up and I think Origin is such an event that it takes more than more more than just your usual lead up to a game it's uh, people that don't watch NRL will still watch Origin you know and you put you got that name on your back you remember all you know you remember watching it as a kid and and just how um important it is to everyone and everyone gets tribal about it all and um it's just just a massive week and it's certainly it's certainly I don't know what the stats are but it certainly seemed to to zoom by and you just uh gassing before you knew it and um just sort of uh adrenaline getting you through I suppose but um it was really really cool to to win that first series and uh feel good as I said coach that and I think you really got origin and Sadly, that was the last one we'd win for a little while. Now, moving forward, uh, it was Manly that you decided to go to. Talk us through the process of how that came about and why it was Manly that you went to. And good for us, for Manly fans. When you came, there was definitely a shift that we had a leader in the forward pack, a real leader that uh, they could actually build with. Yeah, I suppose the process, uh, I sort of joke when I do the speaking gigs in that hen that, you know, I'm not that smart, but um, it really was just the biggest offer. <laughs> oh, really? And, yeah, I mean, I was watching Moneyball the other night and, and there is something tied to the to the value that that puts on you as well. Manly needed, you know, they needed some leadership, as you, as you noted, and Ben Kennedy I always um, attribute for bringing that and teaching us how how to win really he's just just such an instrumental guy and I really I think I piggybacked a bit off him because we were the two key signings of that year I'd sort of get mentioned in the same breath where I don't really think I had the the year that I did in 2004 consequently I didn't play in New South Wales but the next year I sort of ramped things up and and started chipping in a bit more. Now in 2005 you made the semis you limped into the semis in 2006 you, you came fifth in the comp did you feel as a group right then, did you feel personally that you guys were starting to build to something? Did you feel you had the cattle to uh, to take it to the next level at that stage? Um, yeah, I mean, BK left us in, in 2005, but the thing, uh, the CD I think he planted for all of us was, he used to say in his words, boys, this is the best thing you can ever do besides having a kid, you know, and that really resonated with the guys. Manly was a young crew, a really happy crew. When you talk about the process, I remember summing up the offers that were coming in, and Manly was one of them. I was out with New South Wales on a on a drink because they did, we didn't play till the following week. Manly had just been beaten, <laughs> and the whole team's out out at uh, the uni bar. You know, this is where I met most of them, and uh, as I said, that they gave they put the best offer on the table. So I was going there, but I was I remember looking around at some of these guys, Chris Hicks and the Stewart boys, and I'm going, what have I got myself into? <laughs> 2007 rolls around and Manly announces what I believe is one of the most important signings in the club's history in Jamie Lyon. Was that year the moment you thought you finally had a side that could win the premiership? Yeah, go, going back, I think um, we knew we were building to something and, and just just cutting back a little bit, what I loved about coming to Manly, there was it was the stark contrast to St George where I enjoyed my time there and I learnt from the guys that were um, in, in the leadership roles. But at Manly, everyone was – it was a club that was rebuilding. It was just – there was sort of splatters of talent. Brett Stewart wasn't Brett Stewart yet. Glenn Stewart wasn't even on the scene, you know. Um, Steve Menzies was the only noted uh, uh, representative player there and he was, you know, I suppose – 
he wasn't really standing out in, in, in a losing team. And uh, so, yeah, we did know we were building to, towards something. And I think um, Ben Kennedy, again, predicted that, you know, we'd, we'd go close in 2007. And, uh, yeah, we, we probably just leaped. Um, we took took a big step forward in that year, maybe surprised ourselves a bit. But um, consequently, that was the year that we knew we, you know, we were good enough to, to go on and win one. A lot of expert commentators have spoken over the years about the notion you have to lose a title before you win one. Do you believe in that theory? Yeah. Um, we certainly didn't buy into it. I think we were we were maybe in 2007, as I said, we sort of, you mentioned our, our progression to just making the finals to, to sort of fifth, but then boom, 2007, it felt like we had maybe arrived just a little before our time and we all talk about about maybe being a little overawed that week um, leading into the grand final and everything that went with it. Um, I don't know. I think history says, you know, throughout those 90s that it just happened a lot and maybe it does. But no, I mean, I don't – you can make arguments for the other case. Brisbane just win them. <laughs> That's right. Now, in, in the GF in 2007, I mean, you guys went into halftime only 10-4 down. I think a massive shift in that game – came in the second minute, I think, of the second half where Brett Stewart-Snake was actually floored by Michael Crocker and Billy Slater. I'm pretty sure Brett came off and he stayed off. Mm. Did he stay off for the whole game? Did, did that really change the momentum of that game? Because they went on to win by, I think, about 20, 20 or 24 points. Massive turning point, yeah. You, you hit it on the head there. And I think um, that was – I mean, Snake had injuries throughout his career, but he generally got on the paddock, especially for the big games. And I think that's when I really saw what a valuable player he is to us. Um, so we can, yeah, sure, you know, the forwards have got to win the battle going forward. The halves have got to get us in position. But um, to have a guy of that calibre in your team was just so cool. I mean, we talk about Ben Kennedy coming to the club and him running off BK and just, you know, when he touched the ball as a front rower, Sometimes I just walked back to, for the kickoff. Like it was just um, like like a lot of fans, I, you know, him pinning those ears back. I still have the memories of him just going for it. You know, when he was at his fastest and his fittest, he was just a good, great guy to play with because he was so casual about it all too, and he just loved a good time and, and and really enjoyed his footy. I was lucky enough to be involved in in the sanctum of the 2007 and 2008 playing group. From the outside looking in, I felt like you guys were right there on the money. And even though there was a lot of disappointment in losing the 2007 GF, I got the feeling you all knew there were better days to come. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, and as I said, perhaps a little overawed. But what I'd comment on um, with those early years at Manly uh, is a buzzword, you know, around culture. And we had it. You know, uh, I think some teams stumble upon it. I do believe as a coach especially you can cultivate it. You know, um, it also happened organically. It was just cool. Like people enjoyed each other's companies. We, we played cars together, as you know. You lost okay. a bit of coin. I lost a lot of money. <laughs> um, but it, nothing was forced. Uh, I mean, if you look at some of the areas that you do cultivate, Desi had a no dickheads policy, you know, famously. And um and so that that meant whoever was coming in, they were one of us. You know, they thought like us. They were they were a team player. They were going to um, they were going to do their best to uh, to to come into what we're building. And um, and even I remember at times probably 
Josh Perry was one that as a player I sort of, you know, we'd gone at each other a couple of times. I thought, this guy's a bit of a dickhead. Like, <laughs> um, he, you know, bought into to what we were doing and obviously, like most guys you meet in footy, he's, he's a really cool guy and we um, we actually packed down in the front row in 2008 and um, have a lot of admiration for Josh and the way he goes about the game and uh, and what he did in his, in his time at Manly also. Yeah, definitely. I, I felt like 2008, there was a couple of changes in the roster. Guys like Dave Williams came onto the scene, so Wolf was there. Glenn Hall was a real force within that pack. And then you had Teddy Perry. And I think that Josh and you, as a combination, really laid that platform for that side. The one guy that I really loved in that year, and I always thought that without him, that side wasn't the same, was Heath Lestrange. Like, mm. he, he was a bit of a journeyman. But what I loved about the difference from the outside looking in, because I'm not a footballer, but from a fan's point of view, was that you played sort of a different game in 2008. There was Matty Ballin who came in as well, where Matty was that traditional hooker, a great defender and, uh, you know... Slow. Fit, yeah, but a great defender, 50 tackles a game, and Matt would play that traditional behind-the-line dummy half play. And then after 20 or 30 minutes, Des would bring on Stranger and he'd play that up-tempo. And there was like – there was two tempos of that side. As a fan, I loved watching it. It was like Stranger would jump out. He'd jump out of dummy half. He'd go to the, those slower guys behind the ruck and he'd take guys with him and he'd drag everyone forward. And guys – I felt like in 2008, sides just couldn't match – your change in tempos. Do you reckon that's a fair call? Yeah, and I think um, I don't know if we see that as much with the with the, with two hookers being played in the game, but it definitely worked for us. On Stranger, he um, again just another guy that came in. He's such a likable guy, funny guy, you know, and uh, just fit into the culture, uh, endeared himself to the boys. And on the field, yeah, he was. We would sort of. We'd play Maddie and Stranger against each other, and um, they'd sort of play into it. But yeah, they were they were quite different players, and um, as as you mentioned, that really worked for us because uh, Heath was very dynamic, and um, Maddie, Maddie was Maddie would always lay that great uh, foundation, always service. You're always getting hit on the chest, laces out, you know. And um, I used to give him a mouthful if it wasn't, but. Um, yeah, uh, it's a it's a great point because some of these guys, if you look at um, Glenn Hall's game in that grand final too, explosive, probably guys that you don't you know remember as as being uh, instrumental to, to that season were as you said, uh, big big role players. <laughs> 